0: You need Indeed.
1: And away we go. Episode 524 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Thursday, March ninth. 2023, it is the one-year anniversary of the Commanders agreeing on the trade for quarterback Carson Wentz. Yes, one year ago today, we had the birth of Commander Carson, uh, who ended up lasting less than a year with the team. The trade was officially executed on March 16th, 2022, but the news of the trade broke on March 9th. 2022, which amazingly was the 10-year anniversary of the RG3 trade, the trade in which the Redskins gave up a truckload of draft picks to the St. Louis Rams to move up from the number six overall pick in the 2012 NFL draft to the number two overall pick in that draft, in which, of course, the Skins used that number two overall pick on quarterback Robert Griffin III. Could it be that on this year's, March 9th, that some other Major quarterback trade by Washington happens. Hey, maybe later today, Washington will agree on a trade for Baltimore Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson. Who knows? Hello and welcome to this Thursday installment of the Al Galdi Podcast. Well, whatever does or does not happen with the commanders on this day of March 9th, at 2023. I can tell you this: uh, I next segment have a really good guest, Ryan Fowler of the Draft Network. He is the host of a Commander's podcast, Commending the Huddle with Ryan Fowler. Uh, he is a Commander's fan. He actually used to work for the Skins, but Ryan covers and knows the NFL Draft exceptionally well. He was at the 2023 NFL Scouting Combine at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis for the entirety of the event. And Ryan's going to spend some time with us talking Combine and 2023 Draft From a commander's perspective, Uh, Ryan, during the combine broke a good bit of news regarding the players who were meeting with the commanders. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, The 2023 draft is especially rich with defensive backs and offensive linemen. The commanders uh, certainly could use help at both of those position groups, especially the offensive line position group, uh, who might be available to the commanders with their number 16 overall pick in the draft. We're going to talk about that. Uh, Ryan has a lot to say about the quarterbacks in the draft, including a surprising number four in his top four. Uh, Whether the commanders should go quarterback, in the first or second round of the draft, and where Sam Howell would rank in this year's quarterback draft class. Wait until you hear that. And Ryan at the Combine was hearing about a certain potential, maybe even likely, free agent target for the commanders when NFL free agency begins next week. Uh, This is one of the biggest names in this year's free agent class. We will be talking about that. Uh, Lots of combined draft and even free agency analysis and information regarding the commander's next segment from the Draft Network's Ryan Fowler, who, again, is a fan of our manders. Uh, Also on the show, a bad loss for the Wizards.
0: The damn Washington
1: Wizards. Yes, Stephen A. Smith, the Wizards. Uh, it was a big game from a standings standpoint for our Wizards. Uh, <laughs> well, to whatever extent that you care about the Wizards in the Eastern Conference Play-in Tournament standings, uh, the Wizards blew a 15-point third-quarter lead and lost to the Atlanta Hawks 122-120 at Capital One Arena on Wednesday night, despite a tremendous game from Chris Dabbs, Porzingis. Uh, And I will talk lots of college basketball in this week of conference tournaments, including the end of Georgetown season and maybe slash probably the final game for Patrick Ewing as Hoyas head coach. Number 11 seeded Georgetown lost to number six seeded Villanova. 80 48 At Madison Square Garden in New York City in the first round of the 2023 Big East Tournament on Wednesday night. An appropriately humiliating loss in what was a second consecutive humiliating season for the Hoyas. Uh, Also ending in a blowout on Wednesday night, Virginia Tech's run in the ACC Tournament. The number 11 seeded Hokies got smashed by number 6 seeded NC State 97-77 late night on Wednesday night in the second round of the ACC tournament at Greensboro Coliseum in Greensboro, North Carolina. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Tim on Commander's co-owner and co-CEO. Dan Snyder writes, Tim, I like your podcasts. Well, thank you, Tim. Continues, Tim. Recently, we learned that Dan Snyder siphoned without knowledge of minority partners, no less, team funds and also pursued a loan illegally to support his family's lavish lifestyle, fancy toys and properties in lieu of having enough cash on hand at times to guarantee player contracts, limiting what the team could do and to duly reinvest in the team's training facilities and its stadium, both neglected. While these actions by Snyder reflect bad business, is any of this illegal or are Snyder's actions somehow allowed in what an owner can get away with if the owner chooses to do those things? What's to prevent the next owner of Washington from doing the same thing as Dan Snyder has done? Uh, Thank you for the email, Tim. Uh, well, I would suggest that uh, maybe moral fiber (laughs) might uh, prevent the next owner of Washington from doing the same thing as Dan Snyder has allegedly done. Although you know, to what extent all of these NFL owners are moral—that's a separate conversation—and I certainly am not qualified to be judging that. Uh, I'll tell you this: if Dan Snyder is guilty of all that was detailed in the bombshell report from ESPN senior writer Don Van Natta Jr. on February 28th, then yes, there are crimes that may well have been committed. Remember this portion of that report. Quote, a federal grand jury has issued subpoenas for a cache of documents related to the team's finances, including the loan. Prosecutors acquired the partner's NFL arbitration petition and other supporting materials, including emails and letters between team executives and bank lawyers, documents show the criminal inquiry is being led by a team of FBI and IRS agents, sources said, end quote. So just to review, that passage that I just read to you includes the word slash phrases federal grand jury, subpoenas, prosecutors, criminal inquiry, and FBI and IRS agents. Uh, and while no law enforcement agent or lawyer am I, it sure seems that this entire scenario offers the potential for Dan to have been guilty of bank fraud. Uh, Although it would seem to me that Bank of America is culpable in all of this, with it allegedly having given Dan this uh, secret shady $55 million loan without proper documentation. Uh, And it would seem that this scenario offers the possibility of some sort of tax crime by Dan, ergo the involvement of IRS agents. Because if Dan was using team money for personal expenses and did not declare that money as income, uh, well, I do believe that uh, that is a no-no. But of course, we have to see what charges, if any, that Dan ends up facing from all of this. Here's one thing that I do know. Dan Snyder's lawyers... Oh, they're getting paid, okay? They're getting paid a lot. Uh, I got a good bit of feedback on a potential commander's pursuit of Baltimore Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson off the Ravens on Tuesday afternoon, slapping Lamar with the non-exclusive franchise tag, which allows for him to sign an offer sheet with another team and be traded. Uh, And I got this feedback off our Lamar conversation on Wednesday's show Episode 523, on which I said that the commanders should look into Lamar, but also that for me, there are two significant red flags with Lamar. A, that he has missed five games in each of the last two regular seasons due to injury. You gotta start wondering about his durability. And B, that a team that is widely regarded as being smart, the Ravens, hasn't already signed him to a contract extension. What do they know or believe or fear that has compelled them to not go all in on signing? their supposed franchise quarterback, to a contract extension. Email from Stanley Evans, "Writes Stanley, there are reports to the contrary, but I just have a feeling that the commanders are going to try to land Lamar. If they tried to trade for Matthew Stafford and Russell Wilson, why wouldn't the team try hard for Lamar? Talk about an exciting offense to watch. LJ and EB would be must-see TV. The one thing that Dan Snyder can do that will alleviate some hate is to finally bring a franchise quarterback to DC, make it happen. Thank you for the email, Stanley. Uh, good points on those uh, previous Washington pursuits of then Detroit Lions quarterback Matthew Stafford in the 2021 offseason, and then Seattle Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson in the 2022 offseason. Uh, yeah, Lamar Jackson in an Eric Bienemy coordinated commander's offense would be fun to watch. Remember, though, in order for the commanders to pull off acquiring Lamar Jackson this offseason, They need to first sign him to an offer sheet. Lamar ain't signing no offer sheet with the commanders unless it has terms that he likes. And those terms pretty clearly are going to need to include hundreds of millions of dollars guaranteed at signing. Dan Snyder certainly seems to have a major cash flow problem right now. Does he have the cash to sign Lamar to a contract? That includes hundreds of millions of dollars guaranteed at signing. Uh, That's a significant question. Email from Mike P. writes, Mike, Galdi, my thoughts on Lamar. Number one, I don't think the commanders get him. I don't believe with all that's going on that that is the team's direction, although I could be wrong. Number two, would I want Lamar? Yes. I'm not sure if they can afford to pay him, but it could be a case of pay a lot today, or a bargain down the road. Whether we like it or not, Deshaun Watson set a new market for quarterbacks. If you want an elite quarterback, however you categorize elite, this is the amount of money that you're paying now. Do we think that the Bengals are going to hesitate to pay Joe Burrow $250-plus plus million No, it is what it is. The fact is, Lamar Jackson on this team puts it in contention every year. There would be a chance every year. Something we have not felt in over 30 years. Why on earth would you not want that? You're supposed to pay the guys who will take you to the maximum level, maximum money. It's what this league has become. The dollar amount will only go up. Five years from now, $250 plus million, however much guaranteed, will be looked at as a gift. Sam Howell is good, and I think that he deserves a shot at competing for the number one quarterback spot. But in year four of Ron Rivera's tenure, Ron can't afford to be patient and see what we got anymore. He has to win now. Lamar would solve our quarterback problems immediately. Thank you for the email, Mike. Uh, I like how Mike is channeling one of my most favorite sayings, something that I have said for years, that today's overpay is tomorrow's bargain. I very much believe that. Uh, But the thing is, that only holds true if the player continues to be very good and healthy. I believe that Lamar Jackson is very good. But again, the durability is his body breaking down. He has missed five games in each of the last two regular seasons. You cannot ignore that. I think the Deshaun Watson point is fascinating. Did his contract reset the market or is his contract viewed as an extreme outlier by a desperate team and as an extreme outlier that no other team is willing to follow? The Cleveland Browns last March acquired Deshaun via a trade with the Houston Texans and then signed him to a five-year, $230 million contract. That is fully guaranteed. That contract is bonkers considering not just that all $230 million in the contract are guaranteed, but also that Deshaun in September 2020 had signed a contract extension that took him through the 2025 season. The Browns acquired Deshaun with him under contract for seasons to come and yet gave him this five-year contract. $230 million fully guaranteed contract. And oh, by the way, right? Deshaun Watson had faced 24 civil lawsuits for alleged sexual misconduct during massage appointments and still got a five-year, $230 million fully guaranteed contract. We'll see if the Deshaun contract serves as a market resetting deal, but I'm not convinced that that contract has reset the market What I am convinced of is that you can grow your business or practice by advertising on The Al Galdi Podcast, and that will not cost you $230 million. So podcast advertising is very affordable, and podcast advertising works. Email us. See what we can do for you. The email address is thealgaldipodcast at yahoo.com.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all.
1: Well, this episode of the podcast is for Thursday, March 9th. It is seven weeks from today. Thursday, April 27th, that we have the first round of the 2023 NFL draft, which is taking place at Union Station in Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, and as we approach the start of the NFL's legal tempering period this Monday, March 13th at noon Eastern and the start of the NFL's new league year this Wednesday, March 15th at 4 p.m. Eastern NFL draft season, that was very much in effect. Uh, we had the NFL scouting combine, which took place at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, February 28th through this past Monday, March sixth and a man who was at the Combine and did a great job of covering the Combine and who is a big Commanders analyst and fan is the man who joins me now, Ryan Fowler of the Draft Network. He is the host of a Commander's podcast, Commanding the Huddle, with Ryan Fowler. Uh, He is a Commander's fan. Hey, he used to work for the Redskins. So Ryan was an intern for the Skins from August 2018 to May 2019, and then was a staff writer for the Skins from May 2019 to July 2020. You can follow Ryan on Twitter at underscore Ryan Fowler underscore. Hey, Ryan, how are you? I'm good, Al. Appreciate you having me on. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, Before we get to the specifics of this year's Combine and the Commanders, you know the Combine well. Are there things about the Combine that could be better? Or does the NFL, for the most part, do the Combine as the league should do the Combine?
2: I think overall they do a good job. I would like to see it be more inclusive to the fans. I think, and that was shown in the quarterback workouts when you saw CJ Stroud and Anthony Richardson competing on those vertical routes and they're throwing, they're slinging that thing around at Lucas Oil this week. It just, We've seen it with the draft, how it's changed locations every single year instead of being in Radio City Music Hall every single year. Fans want to see these guys work out. And a lot of the time, fans don't get to see these guys live. And this is the cream of the crop. If you're someone, you're at the the NFL Combine. And I think they do an overall good job with it, but maybe moving it south, getting warmer, atmospheres, right, getting a little outside, maybe some different things like that to tinker it. I know they've done some different interaction things with fans. Again, overall, it, it is a good job that they do. Um, you know How much can you really make it greater than what they do as far as this guys is just working out? But just a little bit more fan-inclusive and changing environments and changing locations each and every year, like they do with the draft. Maybe something that I would say they could tinker.
1: Okay, that makes sense. Uh, as we now have had the Senior Bowl and the Combine, and we're now inside of two months until the 2023 draft, in what position groups is this year's draft the strongest, in your opinion?
2: Absolutely. It has to start with DBs. This is one of the deepest group of corners uh, in a long, long time. It doesn't matter on day one, day two, day three. You're going to be able to draft guys that can play both on the inside and on the outside and you have different skill sets i think you look at guys like julius Brent from kansas state who was a winner this week 34 inch arms which is ridiculous and when i say that meaning because you can play press man he's a bigger corner play within that contact window then you have guys like jacoring and bennett local kid from maryland that came out and ran a 4-3 he can play inside he can play outside key clark from louisville gonna be a day two guy as well inside outside, versatile. And then, of course, you have the top of the board with the Joey Porter Juniors, the Cam Smiths, the Devin Weatherspoons from Illinois, who the multiple teams I spoke with this week is the top corner on their board. And Julius Brents, for some of them as well, is number Number two on their board, not Christian Gonzalez, not Joey Porter. This is a DB class, Al, that is, again, one of the deepest in a long, long time with varying skill sets. It doesn't matter where you want to play them, whether you're running man, you're running zone, asking them to work downhill near the line of scrimmage. They can do it all. And if you need like Washington, you need a corner or you need two corners, they need depth and Benjamin St. Juice, you know, already moving into year three. There's been health concerns. What are they going to do with Kendall Fuller? He was best at the nickel in his first few years in Washington. Is he still going to be that outside CB1 slash CB2? I don't know. But this class, you look at Washington at 16 and the options that they may have there, and even if they want to get some more picks, potentially move back from 16 to the 20s, early 20s, and grab a high-level corner, they're going to be able to do that. It's just – DBs are extremely deep. I look at the offensive line. I think offensive tackle is extremely heavy, top heavy in this draft. But every single guy at the top of the board was impressive in Indianapolis. I mean, just go down the list from Peter Skoronsky that uh, conversations this week is he will play guard at the NFL level. Paris Johnson moves like a linebacker at his size. Same thing with Broderick Jones from Georgia. You saw Dewan Jones run the low fives at 370 plus pounds, six foot eight. It's just absolutely ridiculous. These guys are coming out and the athletes on the outside. You know, I've spoken on Darnell Right. Offensive tackle from Tennessee who protected that arm side for Hendon Hooker this year. All the guys were outstanding in Indianapolis from the feet up, seeing their heavy hands, being able to drop that anchor and pass pro drills. For me, the corner class, the offensive
1: tackle class, and then, of course, the running backs all three days are just a really outstanding, deep group of talent. With the offensive linemen, you during the combine broke a lot of news regarding the players with whom the Commanders were meeting, and it seemed like a lot of those players were offensive linemen. Did anything jump out at you in terms of the offensive linemen with whom the Commanders met?
2: I think Dewan Jones is a big one. Um, I spoke with DeWan at length uh, post combine, and he said he, sp- he spent a ton of time with Washington, not just in formal meetings. Um, and he's somebody that can play. Obviously, lived on the right side. For Ohio State, but is tackle versatile? I know it's easier said than done from jumping either side, but Dewan Jones spent a lot of time with washington this week and he's someone that is you know absolutely humongous human being the wingspan is unbelievable and then you throw him on the line you see him move in the run game and then again digging those cleats in the ground and pass pro and able to stifle these guys on the outside now that are six four six five that can run four five at 250 plus pounds he can do that at ease and he faced that in the big 10 these last few years so dewan jones was a guy that stood out cody mock as well from North Dakota State, he can play inside. He can play outside. We know that Washington may have a a very, very different looking front five <laughs> in the 2023. So we they need guys that are position versatile that can play either spot and with success, not just be a guy in uniform. That's going to take up a jersey. So Cody Mock and Dewan Jones specifically were two guys that stood out to me as far as what I heard from them with their meetings with Washington
1: we know that the commander's offensive line needs a lot of work. Uh, the commander certainly could use help in the secondary. Uh, now, personally, I'm not a believer in drafting for need. I'm a believer in drafting the best player available, but it certainly could be that the best player available when that commander's number 16 overall pick in the 2023 draft comes up is an offensive lineman or defensive back. Who to you are the best offensive linemen and defensive backs who are likely to be available to the commanders with their number 16 overall pick in the draft?
2: Yeah, I'm going to start with two guys. I think it's Christian Gonzalez from Oregon, and I think it's Devin Weatherspoon from Illinois. And I'll even say guy like Joey Porter Jr. from Penn State there. there, There's some concerns within the league as far as just he's a little lethargic on tape. He can be whatever he wants to be. He is an all-pro potential, all-everything potential. Just got to put it together on the outside. But for me, it's Devin Weatherspoon and Christian Gonzalez. Devin is very different in the fact with Christian. He is one of the most Physically overpowering corners in this class and what I mean by that is you ask him to drop his hips and flip and run with the 4-3 guy on the outside 30 yards downfield and man He can do that and Then you ask him to blow up a screenplay behind the line of scrimmage and he can do that, too He's got plenty of highlight reel take plays from Illinois and then Christian Gonzalez is just your all-pro potential pro perennial Pro Bowl guy that can shut down a third of the field And, you know, it's funny because we go think back to William Jackson in Washington to where he said, I want to play more man. Well, William Jackson, there's not a single defense in the league that runs just man or just zone. You got to get guys that can do both. And Christian Gonzalez can do that extremely smooth. His 4-3-8 that he ran in Indianapolis was one of the smoothest 4-3-8s you'll ever see from anybody ever. And I, I look at his game, his ability to work downhill in the football. Um, some teams have concerns as far as his ability to tackle in the open field. I don't have that much concern with him. Uh, I don't think we give enough credit to these Pac-12 corners that come out each and every year. Uh, Clark Phillips is another name from Utah. I think he's going to go high on day two as far as a guy that I love on the outside. But at 16, it's Devin Weatherspoon from Illinois and Christian Gonzalez from Oregon. If those either of those guys are on the board, I would sprint to the podium
1: if I was Washington. Tight end is a position of need for the commanders. Again, they should not draft for need. But again, it could be that a tight end is the best player available when the commander's number 16 overall pick in the draft comes up. We are seeing mock drafts with multiple tight ends being taken in the first round. What's your evaluation of the tight end position in this draft?
2: Yeah, extremely uh, electric group of talent. Again, day one to day three. Um, The headliners, you know, Michael Mayer from Notre Dame. Um, The floor is extremely high for Michael. Um, There may not be a prospect in this class that has a higher floor, but there are guys that have an immensely higher ceiling than he does. I think about Dalton Kincaid from Utah. We didn't see him work out in Indianapolis, but he will be at Utah's Pro Day and will go through the full workouts. Um, I think, like, uh, Luke Musgrave from Oregon State. Now, he didn't run. As fast as I expected but you watch him on tape at Oregon State we only saw him two games this year um, but you know he was overwhelmingly impressive after the catch smooth hands can align next to the tackle and block as well um, but one of the winners for the week out was a local guy in Zach Koontz um, we knew he was going to test extremely well a lot like with Anthony but not historically well but to be near 6'8, 250 plus pounds to run four five 40 inches in the vert, explosive in the broad. Athletes go high. And I think back to last year with how the Colts evaluated Jelani Woods, get out of Virginia, that went on late round three uh, to the Colts. And he was someone that was kind of un- under-evaluated throughout the process, went to the Shrine Bowl. And then Zach comes to the combine and lights it up. And the thing with that is, is athletes go high in this draft. They do not last long, especially at a tight end position to where you need guys that can change the math defensively and force all 11 sets of eyes on defense to account not just for Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, or Curtis Samuel. But who do they have at tight end? Because right now, Logan Thomas, Cole Turner, and John Bates, they're not scaring anybody as far as over the middle of the field. They're just not. Armani Rodgers, we'll see him moving into year two, but he's the most dynamic athlete that they have in the room right now. But I look at a guy like Zach Koontz. I look at a guy like Will Mallory from Miami. I look at a guy like Luke Schoonmaker from Michigan, guys that can play the Y, that can play the F and flexed out into slot, and you add them into this offense, you see what Eric happy likes to do with tight ends, whether they want to run some 12 personnel or they want to run some 13 personnel, some, offer some different looks. Zach Koontz on day three – is a guy that I'd be extremely interested in if I was Washington.
1: I like how you're thinking, man, uh, because there have been plenty of quality tight ends who have been taken on day twos and day threes of NFL drafts. Much more with Ryan Fowler in moments. I'm going to next ask him about the quarterbacks in the 2023 NFL draft. How bright are the futures of those quarterbacks? Perhaps so bright that those quarterbacks need shades. And if so, then those guys should get themselves some Shady Rays sunglasses and those guys should use the promo code Al Galdi. Shady Ray's sunglasses, they look good, they feel good. Shady Ray's, it is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's affordable and durable with clear optics for whatever you're doing outside. And Shady Ray's offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements, meaning that if you lose or break your pair of sunglasses, even on day one, Shady Ray's will send you a brand new pair of sunglasses. No questions asked. Wear your shady rays with confidence because Shady Rays has your back long after you purchase. Here's a special offer for listeners of the Algaldi podcast. Go to shadyrays.com and use the code AlGaldi for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Yeah. 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. If you don't love them, you can exchange them for sunglasses that you do love, or you can return your sunglasses for a full refund within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Shady Rays always has your back. Go to ShadyRays.com and use the code ALGALDI. 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. If you have been thinking about getting new sunglasses, now is the time. And Shady Rays is the way. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. That's shadyrays.com and use the code ALGALDI for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Also, Shady Rays has done some great work, has donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with Feeding America. Shady Rays, look good, and feel good. More now with the Draft Network's Ryan Fowler, who is a Commanders fan and used to work for the Skins. Uh, okay, so let's talk quarterbacks. I noticed that you called him Anthony. Didn't even use his last name. You don't need to use his last name at this point. Uh, off the absolute show that Florida's Anthony Richardson put on this past Saturday At the combine. It's funny, the last time that I had you on the podcast this past January, I talked about, hey, what if Anthony Richardson falls to the commanders uh, number 16 overall pick in the draft? Yeah, that ain't happening now. Uh, Where do you have Anthony Richardson on the Ryan Fowler big board of quarterbacks in the draft?
2: Yeah, he's my number three. Um, he's behind Bryce and, and CJ um, and Anthony. Obviously, everything is going to come down to what ear, you know, what, what voice he has in his ear, and what shoulder he has to lean on moving into the the early portions of his career and the foundation that he has from day one. And I think that's something that we overwhelmingly, we overlook every single year um, we get spoiled with the Joe Burrows and the Justin Herbert's coming in, not having that grace period. Uh, Anthony again can be whatever he wants to be all pro potential. One of the most electric athletes in the league first two, three years in his career and um, that. He, he has that potential, um, everything that he can do with his arm, his arm and his legs. Um, but he's just got to figure out you know, between the ears, that's where you have to win first, especially as a young quarterback in this league. Um, again, he's going to be QB three on my board. Um, my, my top five QBs are Bryce, CJ, Anthony. Hendon Hooker is my four, and Will Levis is my five. So, But for Anthony specifically, um, I, I'm excited to see where he goes. He's going to go high. I wouldn't be surprised if the kid is the first overall pick. i to be completely honest with you, with you in the conversations that I had this week. He had a heck of a week. He's going to show it at Florida's Pro Day. And you look at the kid, 6'4", 245, with that ability and that ceiling, he's, he's just not going to last long.
1: Very notable that you have Tennessee's Hendon Hooker and not Kentucky's Will Levis as your QB4. Boy, as the stock of Anthony Richardson has soared, the stock of Will Levis has plummeted. Uh, Hooker is coming off a torn left ACL that he suffered this past November 19th. Uh, what has compelled you to put Hooker ahead of Levis?
2: Yeah, I've, I've liked Hendon for a long time, and I think he's a guy that's battle-tested, and I want, I want guys in that the quarterback position, to be battle-tested a little bit, kind of go through some stuff. Not everything is perfect. And you look at Hendon at Virginia Tech, he looked completely unplayable at times. And then he goes to Tennessee, and I know there's a lot of pre-snap reads and designated hots and stuff like that when he's throwing a Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman pre-snap and things like that. He's going to be asked to run a pro-style offense at the NFL level, make progressions left to right, right to left. He hasn't done that at Tennessee, but I think the ceiling for him is as lofty as Will Levis. And with Will, I want to see him compete. I want to try to hang my hat on something for Will. He didn't play in the bowl game, didn't go down to the senior bowl, didn't even run the 40 in Indianapolis as a guy that's a dual threat option, big, strong, fast, supposedly. I want to hang my hat on something. And I don't have that right now with Will, specifically with going down to the senior bowl, because this wasn't the crop of quarterbacks that we saw last year with Kenny Pickett and Sam Howell and Malik Willis. You know, it was your Clayton Toons. It was Tyson Bayesian from Shepard, those types of names. He was able to go down there potentially and separate himself, and he didn't. I want guys to compete, and right now, him trying to be a face of the franchise, the QB1, a project that we know he's going to be, there's been a lot of conversations as far as at Kentucky. Oh, it's the offensive line. Oh, it's the young receivers. Oh, it's the offensive coordinator. Well, there's sometimes a common denominator there, and for me with Will Levis, I just have nothing to hang my hat on right now.
1: We know with near certainty that Anthony Richardson, Alabama's Bryce Young, and Ohio State's C.J. Stroud all will be long gone by the time that the Commanders' number 16 overall pick in the draft comes up. But do you think that Hendon Hooker and or Will Levis will be available at 16? And if so, should the Commanders take a quarterback at 16? Uh,
2: The only quarterback there I think will be available will be Hendon. Um, But I do not think – I'd rather have Sam Howell right now. Than than Hendon Hooker. I like Hendon. I do. But you took Sam last year, taking Hendon at 16. I mean, you're going to make him your QB one most likely right away. Um, I don't think that'd be a smart plan at all. But if there's one quarterback that's going to be available, I mean, all those guys are going to go high. All four of those guys, um, Will, Bryce, CJ, and Anthony, are going to go within probably the first 10 picks. And that would not be surprising. But um, there's going to be a quarterback that's available at 16. It will be Hendon Hooker. But if I was Washington, I would pass.
1: What about the Commanders taking Hendon Hooker with their second round pick? Would you be in favor of that?
2: Um, yeah, uh, it's just it's fun because we've had this conversation about Hendon, and then even think about Lamar Jackson and not even kicking the tires on a guy like that because um, he is still twenty six years old, which is absolutely unbelievable. Um, but if you know Eric Biani wants a guy that you know is a dual threat option, uh, Sam Howell is that. I like Sam's arm, but you know Hendon's coming off the ACL um, again. I like Hendon, like what he offers, he is my QB four on my board. But again, if this offense, young quarterback, and trying to build with Sam Howell, I-, I would stick with Sam Howell for now.
1: Regarding Sam Howell, who of course our Commanders are positioning to be their QB one for the 2023 season, they of course took him in the fifth round of the 2022 draft. Where would Sam rank in this year's quarterback draft class?
2: Yeah, I would have him at four. Um, I would have him right behind Anthony Richardson, um, and then Hooker would be behind him, and Will Levis would be behind him. Um, I love Sam's game. Coming out of North Carolina. Again, I had a early day day, uh, late day two grade on, on Sam Howell, but I, I just I like his game. I really do. I don't even think I gave him enough credit coming out of North Carolina and the RPO offense that he ran. And hopefully, you know, that comes to fruition this year with the RPO game that BM B enemy ran with Kansas City. Um, he's got a good arm, got good legs, tough as nails, someone that can beat his tail off every single snap. Um, Sam would be my QB4 in this class, and I don't think I'd have as, any hesitations
1: with that. Wow, it's great to hear that. Uh, you mentioned Eric Bienemy, first time that we've spoken since the commanders hired Eric Bienemy as their assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator. What do you think of the hire and what are your thoughts on what his commanders offense will look like?
2: Yeah, I absolutely love the hire. Um, Look, this is 2023. you got to get modern offensive minds in the building. And at times last year with Scott Turner, it consistently became stagnant. And I know you, myself, and other media members and and crazy fans out there that watch this offense, and they could tell what play was coming. You know, John Bates is aligned inside. Well, they're probably running to his side. (laughs) Things like that. Third third and four, uh, they're probably running a quick little play action to the outside. Stuff like that is just completely stagnant, and and it was tiring to watch. You get the enemy in the building to where there is no – there's pillars of his offense. Again, I mentioned the RPO game. I mentioned even some pony personnel with running two running backs on the field and a lot of tight ends on the field. But they're going to live in 11 base personnel with one running back, one tight end in a deep wide receiver group that we know that Washington has headlined by Terry and Jahan. And that's what Washington's offense is going to look like. But I love a guy that is able to modernize his offense and tailor his offense – to Whatever defense he is facing whether you're facing Philadelphia in a physical front seven or you're facing the Giants that love to run Seven DBs on the field and just try to get after you with four this The enemy has been impressive Obviously with the Chiefs Washington doesn't have a Travis Kelsey They do not have a Tyree kill or a Patrick Mahomes that matters that they don't have a number 15 under center but his ability to tailor the offense to whatever defense he is facing whether it's in-game Whether it's during pre-week prep, I love what the enemy does on offense because you have to have a modern offensive mind that tailors a game plan. And you think back to Joe Gibbs, Al, and the success that Washington had, building in-game adjustments was the biggest thing with Joe. And you look at Eric and what they did against Philadelphia. Look at that second half. They adjusted. They did a lot of different things with the running backs. They used Jarek McKinnon. They used Isaiah Pacheco outside in space. Different things and skill sets. Washington has in the building so I'm extremely excited everyone should be extremely excited I think this offense well they're gonna score more than 19 points a game next year I I bet your house on that Um, but I I love Eric B at what he does from the from a uh, just conceptual perspective He's the architecture of the offense is going to be is drastically different this year and I really am extremely excited to see this thing come to fruition
1: Yeah, the Commanders in the 2023 season better score more than 19 points per game. We know that the Combine is a big gossip session. Uh, What was the gossip? What was the conversation? What was the scuttlebutt that you encountered regarding the Commanders at the Combine?
2: Yeah, for me, I kind of focused on the draft and I kind of focused on free agency. Um, a name to keep an eye on for Washington in free agency is Orlando Brown. Um, I've heard that they're wow. interested in Orlando, bringing him in and playing left tackle. Um, we know that obviously that's a spot that they may go in the draft. But conversations I had, again, draft, it was, it was focused around the corners, focused on the offensive line, the guys that they met with that we spoke with earlier. But I heard a lot of things that they were interested in Orlando Brown. So we will see. You know, There's a little bit of week away until we hit free agency here. Hurts to me as far as that linebacker as well. Um, but Orlando Brown is a name to watch in Washington.
1: Would you be in favor of the commanders spending big money to sign a maybe slash probably the number one unrestricted free agent offensive tackle on the market, Orlando Brown?
2: Absolutely. You got a young quarterback in the building. You got to keep him upright to reach that performance ceiling. And protecting his blind side, Orlando Brown is one of the most athletic tackles in the league. Been one of the best for the last three or four years. Obviously got to stay healthy. Um, I would have no issue in bringing in, and Charles Leno's getting a lulled, right? Played a lot of years in Chicago, got some tread on the tires now. At times, he looks a little bit above average, and then sometimes he looks completely unplayable. I think, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau in that second Giants game absolutely tore him apart, and, you know, that's really the floor of Leno, and it's it's bad. I uh, like Charles, but sometimes you got to get younger, and you got to get guys that, again, allow your quarterbacks to reach that performance ceiling, and they have to be better along the front five for this whole offense to work. It doesn't matter what skill sets or how sexy you are on the outside – You got to get big boys in the front five that are able to keep your quarterback upright and lead this offense.
1: All right. Ryan Fowler of the Draft Network. Not just terrific analysis, but also some breaking news. I love it. Uh, Ryan, thanks a lot for your time and all the best.
0: Always appreciate you having me on, Al.
1: The Wizards on Wednesday night play the first of two consecutive games against the Atlanta Hawks at Win Arena. Game one was on Wednesday night. Game two is on Friday night at 7. Uh, these two straight games against the Hawks are notable for several reasons. First of all, the Wizards entered Wednesday 10th in the Eastern Conference, just a game behind the Hawks for 8th in the East. Uh, Seeds uh, 7 through 10 in each conference make the play-in tournament for each conference. Second of all, the NBA now is doing these like mini two-game series for teams in the regular season. Uh, This in an attempt to cut down on travel. I do like this idea. Uh, I think that this does make sense. Uh, The Wizards last week, March 2nd and March 4th, played two consecutive games against the Toronto Raptors at Capital One Arena. Uh, The Wizards won the first game and lost the second game. Uh, Well, the Wizards on Wednesday night lost, and uh, they in this loss blew a big second half lead. The Wizards fell to 31 and 35 with a 122-120 loss to the Hawks at Capital One Arena on Wednesday night. The Wizards in this game blew a 15-point third-quarter lead. Uh, They, in the third quarter, led at 83-68, but then lost the rest of the game 54-37. So the Wizards still are 10th in the Eastern Conference, but now are just a game ahead of the Chicago Bulls, who are 11th in the East. It was notable that Wizards head coach Wes Unsell Jr. in this game on Wednesday night essentially had an eight-man rotation. Wes, in a lot of ways, treated this game like a playoff game, uh, Monte Morris was back. He returned from a six-game absence caused by low back soreness. Uh, Monte did come off the bench as opposed to start. Uh, Morris in 16 minutes, 29 seconds as a reserve. What a three on threes, one a four on twos. He finished with five points, five assists versus no turnovers. And for rebounds, uh, more bad defense from the Wizards. They allowed the Hawks to score 122 points to go 12-29 of 29 on threes and 33-56 on twos. And to finish with 26 assists versus 11 turnovers. The Hawks do have some good players. You know, Trey Young is good. DeJounte Murray is good. The Virginia product, DeAndre Hunter, is good. But still, the Wizards on Wednesday night got worked by the Hawks. Uh, the Wizards, once again, were good offensively. Uh, although they did again have a turnover problem. Uh, the Wizards scored 120 points, went 12-29 of on threes and 35-54 of on twos, and totaled 34 assists. All of that is great, but the Wizards committed 19 turnovers, including five turnovers in a fourth quarter that the Wizards lost 32-26. This was Wes Unsell Jr. during his postgame press conference on Wednesday night on his team's 19 turnovers.
0: You know, some of them were, you know, just kind of over-dribbling, kind of playing in crowds. Some were careless. Uh, you know, sometimes you know, we, we got rushed a little bit, sped up a little bit. There's a variety of, of turnovers. Uh, I thought that was the biggest hurdle for us tonight.
1: Yes, it was. The Wizards on Wednesday night lost despite a monster game by Chris Dabs Porzingis. What a performance by the Zinger. On Wednesday night, he in 37 minutes, 49 seconds as a starter, went 7 of 10 on threes, 10 of 12 on twos, and 2 of 3 on free throws. He finished with 43 points, 5 assists versus 1 turnover, 5 rebounds, and a Game Best Plus Minus rating of plus eight. You know, it's not often that a player on a losing team in an NBA game has the game's best plus minus rating, but that was the case with Chris Dams Porzingis on Wednesday night. I tell you, he has been good for the Wizards. He for the Wizards has for the most part been healthy off years of injury troubles and he has been good. Uh, Kyle Kuzma had a good game. Now he in 34 minutes 56 seconds as a starter did go just two of seven on threes and did commit four turnovers but he also went eight of eight on twos and three of four on free throws and he finished with 25 points 10 rebounds 6 assists And two steals. Uh, Our friend, Mr. Supermax, Bradley Beal, did have a mixed game. 36 minutes, 45 seconds as a starter. 0 of 2 on threes, just 8 of 17 on twos. And he committed five turnovers. Uh, He went 8 of 9 on free throws. He finished with 24 points, 8 assists three steals, and three rebounds. Chris for Porzingis, Kyle Kuzma, and Bradley Beal on Wednesday night combined for 92 of the Wizards' 120 points. Yeah, you could say that secondary scoring was a bit of an issue, although Corey Kispert remained hot on threes. Kispert on Wednesday night, 32 minutes, 22 seconds off the bench, 2 of 4 on threes, 2 of 2 on twos. He scored 10 points. Corey Kispert now over his last six games, 18 of 29 on threes. But the Wizards did lose and they did blow that 15 point third quarter lead. And, you know, as much as the Wizards are in the mix for this Eastern Conference play in tournament, the Wizards also are closer to having the third worst record in the East than they are to having the number six seed in the East. And that to me tells you all that you need know about the Wizards being in the middle of nowhere. Well, we on Wednesday had a number of college basketball teams in the Mid-Atlantic region playing in conference tournaments. Georgetown, Virginia Tech, George Mason, George Washington, Howard, all were in action. We begin with the Hoyas, whose season, mercifully, is over. And boy, did it end in uh, fitting fashion. Number 11 seeded Georgetown lost to number 6 seeded Villanova, 80-48 at Madison Square Garden in New York City in the first round of the 2023 Big East tournament on Wednesday night. The Hoyas, 32-point loss, their largest ever loss in a Big East tournament game, and this was off the Hoyas in their regular season finale suffering, an historic loss. A 99-59 loss at Creighton the previous Wednesday night, March 1st. That 40-point loss was the Hoyas' worst loss since... An 88-44 loss at then number two, Marquette, on December 27th, 1971. So in each of the previous two games for the Hoyas, you had historic losses. The Hoyas' worst loss ever in a Big East regular season game, and the Hoyas' worst loss ever in a Big East tournament game. The Hoyas on Wednesday night concluded a 2022-2023 season in which they went 7 and 25 overall and 2 and 19 in games in the Big East. This off a of 2021-2022 season in which the Hoyas went 6 and 25 overall and 0 and 20 in games in the Big East. So the Hoyas over their last two seasons 13 and 50 overall including 2 and 39 in games in the Big East. What has happened to Georgetown basketball, a program that for years was a powerhouse, is sad. And boy, it is hard to ignore the poetry of Hoyas head coach Patrick Ewing, who, of course, for years was a superstar for the New York Knicks, right? Who play their home games at right? Madison Square Garden, almost certainly serving his final game as Hoyas head coach in a game at Madison Square Garden. There's no way that Georgetown can bring Patrick back as head coach. No way, okay? Georgetown is even more delusional than we ever thought if Patrick is back as Hoyas head coach for next season. I would expect him to be fired any time now, any day now, any hour now, any minute now. Uh, this season was Patrick's sixth season as Hoyas head coach. His overall record as Hoyas head coach is just 75 and 109. He has made just one NCAA tournament appearance. The Hoyas during his tenure have had countless players transfer. And I know that we in college basketball and college football are in this era of the transfer portal, but still, it seems like the Hoyas have had an inordinate number of of players transfer. And bottom line, the results for Georgetown basketball with Patrick Ewing as head coach have been really bad. And the results the last two seasons have been embarrassing. Uh, we on Wednesday afternoon had big news. Uh, Jim Bayheim out as Syracuse head coach after 47 seasons. An incredible run. Uh, with that as a backdrop, take a listen to how Patrick Ewing's postgame press conference late night on Wednesday night came to an end.
0: Coach, just to follow up, do you want to be back as Georgetown coach next year? Hey, look, everybody, look, I, um, I listened to Coach Boeheim's, uh press conference after the game and everybody was just ranting about, are you coming back or what? Hey, look, I am proud of being a Georgetown Hoyer. Um, this institution has been great to me over the, over the years. Uh, I'd be honored to come back as the coach here. That's it. Coach, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks,
1: Joe. Perhaps the final public words for Patrick Ewing as Hoyas head coach. You know, none of this with Patrick is personal. He certainly doesn't seem to be a bad person or anything like that. And – He did work hard for years as an assistant coach in the NBA, including with the Wizards. You know, Patrick was not just like gifted this job of Georgetown head coach because he played at Georgetown. And, you know, he to me is the greatest player in Hoyas history. Like, no, there was a legitimate justification to him getting the job, but he and this job has not worked out. Uh, you can always email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. I got this email from Wendell Hicks on Wednesday night, writes Wendell, as much as I would have loved to see Patrick Ewing succeed at Georgetown, it's obvious that isn't going to happen. He should be out soon, and I hope that the Hoyas allow the John Thompson legacy to rest. A fear of mine is that they will tap my alma mater for former Georgetown player Horace Broadnax. They need to find a program builder and completely reset. Kevin Willard has shown that you can get on the right path. Sooner rather than later, and hopefully Georgetown will follow that lead. Uh, thank you for the email, Wendell. Well said. I'm with you, man. Uh, it is time to move on from the era of John Thompson, and that is not like a shot at John Thompson, but it's time to move on. And you know the name that a lot of Hoyas fans are talking about is Rick Pitino, uh, who now is Iona's head coach, and. Now is 70. Now, look, Slick Rick, <laughs> he comes with a significant baggage in terms of scandal, but the guy obviously is a big name. He absolutely can coach, and he would instantly add buzz and juice and life to Georgetown basketball, which right now has, like, no life. Uh, I would be in favor of the Hoyas hiring Rick Pitino, but I have my doubts about whether the school is willing to hire Rick Pitino. Uh, Also ending on Wednesday night, Virginia Tech's run in the ACC tournament. The number 11 seeded Hokies got blown out by number six seeded NC State, 97-77 late night on Wednesday night in the second round of the ACC tournament at Greensboro Coliseum in Greensboro, North Carolina. So Tech this season went 19-14 overall and 9-13 in ACC games, this will be the first time in six seasons in which we have had an NCAA tournament uh, that Tech will not be making the NCAA tournament. Disappointing, no doubt, but you know, consider what had been the case with Virginia Tech prior to this stretch. Virginia Tech prior to the start of the 2016-2017 season had made the NCAA tournament just once over the previous 20 seasons and just twice over the previous 30 seasons. So progress certainly has been made for Hokies basketball. Uh, George Mason's season does continue. Uh, a 10 tournament at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. Number 5-seeded George Mason defeated number 12-seeded Richmond. 62-57 on Wednesday afternoon to advance to the quarters, uh, in which Mason will take on number 4-seeded St. Louis Thursday afternoon at about 2. Uh, the Patriots, uh, they now have a 20-win season. For the first time since the 2016-2017 season, Mason head coach Kim English doing a very nice job. Uh, George Washington did lose in the A-10 tournament. The uh, number seven-seeded Colonials lost to number 10-seeded St. Joseph's 87-76 on Wednesday evening. But Howard rolls on. Howard is the number one seed in the MIAC tournament at the Norfolk Scope in Norfolk, Virginia. And the Bison on Wednesday evening destroyed number eight-seeded South Carolina State 91 91- 55 to advance to the semis on Friday evening. And that will do it. For you and me, for now, get the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Algaldi podcast at yahoo.com. Friday show, episode 525. We'll provide you with more on the commanders. Also, on Friday show, we'll talk plenty of college basketball. Maryland is the number six seed in the Big Ten tournament at the United Center in Chicago. The Terrapins had a bye into the second round. They will play number 14 seed in Minnesota Thursday night at about nine. Virginia is the number two seed in the ACC tournament at at Greensboro Coliseum in Greensboro, North Carolina had a bye into the quarters. The Cavaliers will take on number 7 seeded North Carolina Thursday night at 7 810 tournament at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, New York. We on Thursday have the quarters. Number 1 seeded VCU will face number 8 seeded Davidson Thursday morning at 11:30. Number 5 seeded George Mason will meet number 4 seeded Saint Louis Thursday afternoon at about 2. And I on Friday show will talk Capitals. So the Caps are home to the New Jersey Devils. Thursday night at 7. Have a great rest of your Thursday, and I'll talk to you on Friday.
0: I am proud of being a Georgetown Hoyer. Um, This institution has been great to me over the the years. Uh, I'd be honored to come back as the coach here. That's it.
2: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger